and I start by introducing our second keynote speaker, João Sebastião from University Institute of Lisbon. So as yesterday, I'm also going to give a um, little bit of an overview for those of you who do not know João and his work, which will be a minority, I'd imagine. Um, so I'll give a little bit of an overview and then hand over to him to give his keynote. So João is a sociologist, of course. Uh, he's associate professor at the Department of Political Science and Public Policies at the University Institute of Lisbon and a researcher at the Center for Research and Studies in Sociology, where he was also director between 2014 and 2010. Uh, his main research areas are social inequalities in education, educational policies, and school violence. In convergence with the research in sociology of education, he worked as an expert in the area of school violence for different national and international institutions, such as the Council of Europe, the, the EU, the OECD, uh, and as a developer and coordinator of the School Safety Observatory of the Portuguese Ministry of Education. At the CAS, so that's the uh, Council for International uh, Research Center. Yeah. Um, is it? Wow. It is uh, CIES. Oh, CIES is the center, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so CIES is the center. Um, he maintains a line of work of applied science on programs about school success and early school leaving. Class dimension, literacy, school violence, and municipal educational plans, cooperating with local authorities, and uh, schools. And we're delighted to have you here with us uh, this morning for the uh, keynote um, for today. And uh, if you could also share your screen, then we can all see the uh, slides. So you can see that the title will be Living in a Maelstrom. Uh, will educational inclusion policies be able to survive COVID-19? Oh yeah, and here is the acronym where I made the mistake. Just on the on the first slide, there's the Centro de Investigación Estudos de Sociologica. It's research center in. <laughs> Thank you. Delighted to have you here. A hand over to you. Uh, we may still have people joining. Uh, I'm just having a look. There's 21 panelists. I think we are nearing sort of getting all the panelists there. Slightly slower today. There's uh, maybe uh, um, uh, all the depression. <laughs> All, all tired from yesterday, or it's the Friday blues. It's usually Monday blues, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, so it's the it's the it's Friday. So, uh, but I think we make a start anyway. And uh, the few people from the panelists that are still missing are hopefully going to join within the next couple of minutes. Well, thank you, Daniel, and uh, hello, everybody. Thank you very very much for your kind invitement. Uh, hello, Bernadette. We've known long, uh, for a long time uh, already. Hello, uh, Zhao. How are you? So thank you for this uh, kind invitement. I will be trying to speak about the, what I tried to synthesize in the title. If, uh, in fact, uh, educational inclusion policies will survive COVID-19. Well, policies, as you know, are not persons or individuals. So, uh, but they can uh, suffer as well from uh, this pandemic and this crisis. Uh, in this crisis, as sociologists, we know well, 
it's not only a sanitary crisis, it's a social, economic and uh, political crisis. So uh, I think there are a lot of uh, to discuss and to, and to analyze around this pandemic because it only shows uh, some of the difficulties uh, that the educational systems are having today uh, and will be having more, in, I think, in the future. Well, I took as a departure point the definition of inclusive education, uh, which was on the call. So I'm not going to discuss inclusive education or the concept uh, or all the theoretical discussion of the concept. Uh, it's not, it was not my intention. But uh, I want to discuss first the idea of crisis. Uh, this crisis, this pandemic, this uh, sanitary crisis, uh, it's only the last in a sequence of crises. Everybody under 14 has lived more crises than, than me. Uh, everybody in the last 10, 15 years has lived as three major crises, uh, financial crisis, uh, sanitary crisis, different kinds of crises. So uh, living in crisis, it's uh, becoming almost a permanent situation. And this has uh, a lot of uh, consequences uh, because uh, I think we are now, uh, we are now uh, seeing well that every, cri every time a crisis comes, uh, things are changing uh, and sometimes we can say exactly that uh, creativity and uh, uh, are exploding with the crisis, is, uh, is exploding with the crisis. Uh, but much worse, I think these several crises, uh, at least from the point where I am, I think these uh, successive crises are underlining the idea that political, civic and social rights can't be taken at all for granted. Uh, well, economic crises and financial crises uh, always put a lot of pressure or, uh, on social uh, on social rights, but never used to put uh, a great deal of uh, a great deal of pressure on political and civic uh, rights. But now I think uh, this particular crisis associated to the 2008 2010 crisis, uh, what is new is that the, the, these crises are putting a strong pressure on political, civic, uh, and also uh, social rights. And there's a structural change on that. Political rights for, of voting, for example, never were under attack because of, uh, of a, a crisis. Uh, the idea that uh, some uh, acquire rights, some, for example, LGBT rights, for example, uh, that were improving, uh, now in lots of countries they are going back. So there are a lot of changes, women's rights for example also in a different, uh, in several countries uh, are not going, are not expanding, are contracting. 
So uh, I think this, uh, what these uh, several, uh, this sequence of crises underline very well is that uh, political, civic, and social rights as a whole are, uh, can't be taken for granted and that we have to discuss it uh, very well. Uh, as we see for in several countries, for example, the voting uh, rights are under attack. Well, we need so uh, inclusive education are uh, directly linked to all of these rights, not just to a so as a social right, but as a political right uh, and as a civic right. Uh, and so if these, in general, these uh, rights are under attack, so will be inclusive education. Because inclusive education uh, deals with the handicapped uh, people, deals with the migrants, deal, deals with all the minorities uh, in schools, uh, in the educational system. So uh, if rights are under attack, so will be uh, inclusive education. And I will speak about this later. Uh, some of these rights just disappear in several countries. For example, for disabled children, uh, for example, all the support system for disabled children just disappeared. Uh, and the children were uh, sent back to their families uh, without any kind of support. So, I think in this sense that we have to expand the debate on uh, inclusive education by taking in, in greater account uh, the current, but also the future constraints, uh, constraints to inclusive education in the production of policies. I could mention, for example, the rising of uh, far-right uh, groups in Europe, but not on, only in uh, Europe, but in several countries around the world. Uh, the impact of this in the institutional arrangements uh, around uh, inclusive education and in the organizational and pedagogical solutions uh, we use uh, and we, uh, and that's the tools we have to deal with this situation. So I think one of the common sense in sociology is that context matters. Well, but I think that context matters much more now uh, than later because uh, some of what I've said, uh, particular, we are living in crisis as a life condition in several countries. Some countries uh, are surviving better than others to this. Uh, the, we can see the, the divisions in, inside the European Union uh, between the, those uh, more, uh, well, some northern countries and some uh, southern countries, uh, the discussions about uh, policies and support uh, in time of crisis. But for the, the younger generations, mainly for the younger generations, but also for the elderly, uh, living in a crisis is now a life condition. Uh, we have, are having some small periods in between crises. Uh, 
we are just waiting for another crisis. Uh, and this has a strong impact in the life conditions, in the possibility of uh, uh, integration and inclusion, in the possibility of funding, for example, uh, social uh, and educational uh, policies. Uh, so this is this is having a strong impact. One other thing that is uh, more or less obvious is that every crisis means the widening of uh, social inequalities. Uh, more market regulation, digitalization, automation, housing crisis, and so on. So. Uh, the widening of inequalities has strong impact, for example, in this moment of pandemic, when the governments decide, well, everybody's going home and we are going to do homeschooling. Well, lots of people around Europe uh, in, in the world uh, didn't have uh, internet conditions, did, uh, lots of families didn't have well, I have uh, students uh, having classes through uh, cell phone, for example. Uh, all my African uh, and Brazilian uh, students were having classes through uh, cell phones. The interaction uh, between teacher and, uh, and professors uh, are very, very uh, small. So, uh, however, these also these inequalities have a strong impact in the educational policies, uh, particularly in uh, in this moment in higher education, uh, with strong uh, pressure uh, to make a huge market. Well, uh, there was already uh, educational market in higher education uh, going. Uh, but now it's the perfect moment to digitalize everything and make uh, a world market uh, or also uh, a digital uh, educational market. Uh, as uh, uh, Stefan Ball shows uh, in his work. I think there are another uh, relevant element. It's the impact of political changes. Uh, the rise of nationalism, nativism, authoritarianism, and uh, the crisis of multilateralism of the, the, the large uh, international organizations. Uh, you haven't seen during this crisis United Nations anywhere. Uh, the, health, uh, the Health World Organization is somewhere uh, in between wars uh, of countries. But nationalism, nativism, and authoritarianism have a long and strong impact in uh, inclusive education. Uh, because the, uh, as you uh, have seen, the, uh, this idea, America for the Americans, uh, no migrants in Poland, uh, no migrants in Hungary and so on, uh, or in Italy or in every other country, or the, the persecutions of uh, migrants. And sometimes these migrants uh, don't have to be outside uh, non-European. Sometimes or even the European are persecuted uh, by these kind of movements. 
for example, in England, Germany, and so on. So uh, I think uh, these nationalist and nativist movements will have a strong impact because they don't really want uh, in uh, educational systems the uh, different the difference. They hate the difference. They hate the LGBT policies. They hate. Uh, they don't support policies for handicapped children. So I think we have to keep much more attention to these uh, political movements because they will have, they, they are still having, but they will have much more impact uh, in inclusive education. One other thing that uh, I think it's obvious with this uh, pandemic, it's there are lots of institutional cracks. Uh, for example, mainly the, uh, the fragility of institutional orders. Uh, for example, borders dis uh, reappeared so soon, uh, they seemed they never uh, went away. Uh, Borders were closed. Uh, well, European, uh, the Commission of the European Union is saying, well, uh, try not to close uh, the borders in this second wave. But there are a lot of other examples. Uh, the borders are, uh, are just one example of uh, uh, institutional orders that were, uh, um, that were impacted. Uh, the, the, the speed uh, our schools and other uh, uh, institutions uh, uh, were closed, uh, and the idea that democratic uh, rights uh, can be uh, not closed but uh, suspended, at least for a while. So. Uh, although we think uh, that democracy uh, is strong and will support everything, well, this pandemic shows that uh, the different institutional worlds we live in uh, are fragile and only survive if we participate as citizens, uh, if uh, citizenship education is strong, if uh, uh, Inclusion education is strong. There are also disruptions in a very so, uh, in a different kind of social functions we took for granted. One of them were with handicapped children. All through the world. Uh, Handicapped children were sent home without, mostly without support. Uh, imagine families working uh, uh, at home uh, with handicapped children. Uh, with disabilities, these uh, families only know uh, slightly because some, some kind of disabilities are very specific and, uh, well, families know how to deal with children, but don't know how uh, to do educational programs with children. 
So indeed, it's a full-time job. You work or you work or you are with your uh, disabled children. So this is the, this, all of these things are uh, real, I think, set back uh, for inclusive school because, uh, for example, all the, uh, for migrants, for, uh, for immigration, for example, all the, the move, all the processes were closed. Lots of immigrants, for example, uh, if you think about the, all of those immigrants in Greece uh, that are nowhere. Well, before this pandemic, we spoke a lot of those um, refugee camps in Greece and other places. Well, they are nowhere. They can't move because of pandemic, but they can't move because of uh, political... Uh, they can't move because of political uh, decisions also. Uh, for example, in Portugal, uh, some, some things we had uh, very, very, uh, well, uh, something that it was uh, non-discussable, uh, that uh, even illegal immigrants and children of illegal immigrants could go to an hospital and have treatment for free, and uh, uh, immigrants can go, uh, children's immigrant children can go to school without questioning their uh, their situation in Portugal. Even this uh, situation were questioned. So there are a lot of setbacks uh, in the, in the progress towards a more inclusive education. Uh, mainly because of the, of the change, not of not of the pandemic, but of the political climate uh, around the, around this. So, I think uh, we need, in fact, to reshape uh, inclusive education policies. Uh, there are, in fact, new political and social uh, social change challenges. Uh, inclusive education must, or I think it's an, uh, a necessity to have a more political and citizenship education associated uh, because it's there where uh, it's not in the mostly in the pedagogical or organizational things in this moment, but it's in the political and citizenship rights that education, uh, inclusive education policies are going to be discussed. Do migrants have rights and they are re uh, setting back? Uh, what are you going to do with uh, 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 handicapped uh, children? Uh, because uh, most, there are a lot of educational systems saying, well, uh, you don't, uh, we are going probably to close schools again. Uh, there's no, uh, because of a kind of second wave of uh, coronavirus. So what are we going to with these children? Uh, what are you going to say? The discussion is much more wider than the educational one, but uh, with uh, LGBT and other uh, gender issues uh, in schools because they are 
clearly uh, having a setback, a regressing in several countries. Uh, well, so I think we must stress this uh, political and uh, civic education uh, to uh, address the reshape of educational uh, policies uh, towards inclusive education. I think we also have to deal with these institutional cracks. Uh, and this is also a political issue. Uh, because we can send home uh, thousands and thousands of children uh, with, uh, without the proper uh, uh, social support. So uh, what will we do with all of those children's uh, recently, uh, recent migrants? Uh, we have lots of uh, people from Nepal, Nepal uh, Nepalese uh, children, we have a lot of Thai children, which just arrived, they don't speak a word of Portuguese. So, far away uh, education or uh, internet education is not going to work with them. Uh, what are you going to do with this, uh, with this kind of institutional cracks? And the third, Thing we are, it's relevant, it's that uh, we should be discussing more uh, the more digital buzzwords. Well, uh, I think Stefan Ball is the huge interest uh, of major uh, computing companies, Dell Foundation and others, uh, about uh, this digital education and the digital classroom, and the digital school, and the digital everything. Uh, but it, all of these things have a strong impacts in curricula. Uh, these things have strong impact uh, in children's socialization processes. Uh, and in fact, they don't, uh, we can end with the kind of education for the, much more uh, technocratic education, uh, if I can say like that. Uh, having more uh, individualized and individualistic uh, education focused on uh, some technological issues uh, without having a strong uh, public discussion about curricula, about values, about political, political options in education. So I think we have also. Uh, to support different uh, pedagogical alternatives, but those pedagogical alternatives that can be widely spread on educational systems. Uh, for example, uh, exp uh, educational communities as the University of Barcelona, uh, learning communities, sorry, learning communities as the Ramon Flecha uh, has started the project uh, several years ago, lots of years ago. Uh, but this is a kind of alternatives that can be widely spread. Uh, I don't like very much those kind of uh, very niche uh, educational alternatives that are very good for one school, but we can't reproduce or uh, uh, in another school. 
well, that are so specific to a group of uh, uh, schools or, or group of teachers. Uh, I think we must speak about pedagogical, and we and we stopped uh, speaking a lot of time, a long time ago, about pedagogy, pedagogy, pedagogic alternatives. These uh, learning communities are very interesting. Uh, are a very interesting alternative in the in sense that they can be widely spread in educational systems uh, and because it's a reflexive uh, and uh, they are sociologists and they are putting social uh, sociology of education uh, into the work um, they are uh, learning communities uh, puts all the questions uh, at stake. Reflective, uh, uh, reflection, citizenship, uh, learning uh, uh, the curriculum itself and the, and the communication, uh, because it's a dialogic uh, model, uh, the communication processes uh, which integrate the pedagogical processes. So I think, we must discuss uh, trend because I think I've spent all my time. Uh, I think we have to discuss much more, not only policy, but also politics uh, around inclusive education at the political uh, wider sense and uh, at the educational policies also. Uh, it's more or less about this. I would like, this is not the bibliography, but uh, I would like to thank uh, Oki Wang and Marcus Oller and Tillman Grams for uh, some ideas they gave me for this uh, speech. Um, I think we are all, uh, all about these uh, questions of the impacts of COVID in uh, educational systems and in societies. We are exploring. Uh, we don't have much. Uh, we don't have much data. For example, I'm I'm writing a paper about uh, for uh, Spanish uh, with our Spanish for our Spanish colleagues of Sociology Education Journal. Uh, I am using data from a media lab we have in our research center, which analyzes all the TV news and the newspaper news. Uh, but it's the only data. Uh, we can't find much data anywhere. So uh, I would like this, uh, at, at least these three uh, researchers, these three sociologists, for their uh, free thinking, <laughs> I say. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Rao, uh, for this uh, really interesting uh, talk. Uh, now over to questions, either from the panelists or indeed from those that are um, following us further afield. Anybody who would like to get us started? Panelists, raise your hands. Uh, the attendees, just type your question in the question and answer function box. Anyone? 
They're all very tired this morning. It's Friday. August. Now can Adriana is going to ask a question. Uh, Adriana, so yes, I wait. Yes, yes, Adriana, please, please go ahead. Yes. Uh, good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Joao, hello. Good morning. Hello. Thank you very much for your presentation. It was really interesting um, and really challenging for you because it's uh, really a current situation that we are living and it's changing a lot our context on, at schools and also in a political sense. So um, thank you very much. It was really interesting. And I, I really appreciate your, uh, your point of view of how um, schools can share uh, their experiences that are successful and that are also uh, taken into account uh, in the research that we do, um, for example, in sociology of, of education, and how these can um, really help to elaborate politi politi new politics uh, in education that, can, that are really necessary now to, to take into account these experiences of, um, that are successful. And I think in Portugal you are really um, leading uh, this kind of, um, of politics that are taking into account the practices that are successful and uh, the information I have in, in Portugal is that you are really working on and I'm sure that uh, with the pandemic situation and all that you have explained, um, you in your country uh, are showing the rest of the countries in Europe, for example, that uh, this is the way that we have to, to go on. So. Um, uh, I really appreciate if you can give, uh, if you have uh, more detail of how in Portugal, from politics, um, they are doing this change uh, in the politic, uh, in the educational systems that really have into account what uh, scientific evidence is is showing, and we the researchers are are really working on it. So thank you very much again for your presentation. Well, thank you, yeah. Well, uh, what's the word? Well, thanks uh, for something. We have in Portugal a government that believes in science, which, uh, which is not the case everywhere. <laughs> uh, and we have a government that which, um, uh, relates uh, well with the sociologists. So, uh, one of the discussions in Portugal, uh, at, the, at, at the first moment, it was all about psychologists uh, during the pandemic. Uh, it was a tsunami of uh, psychologists everywhere speaking about the stress, speaking about how can we deal with each other and so on. But slowly, uh, in the media, the, the sociologists uh, could start to emerge from the, the wave of psychologists uh, and discuss the much more relevant issues, I think. Well, these are relevant issues, but 
but uh, we were discussing uh, other different uh, and relevant things, such as inequalities in face of uh, distance education, for example, uh, the resources the children and families had, the support, uh, what Bourdieu called the cultural capital. It's not, well, well, everybody knows the concept. I have some, uh, I think the concept that didn't age very well, but it's still the best, <laughs> the best way to, to speak about this is about uh, cultural capital. Uh, so there was a, they started to use discussion uh, about this. Uh, how can we support uh, families? So, uh, and there was a, a huge discussion about this because all families are not uh, uh, in the same situation in distance education, on the, in distance education. So there was a strong pressure over the government to reduce select, uh, selectivity in the system not reducing the, the way and the, uh, the need to have good education, but this uh, selectivity which came from behind and from uh, uh, other more neoliberal uh, policies in educational policies in Portugal, much more focused on selection. Uh, and that was a good, that was a good, uh, side effect, uh, less selectivity, selectivity in the system. Uh, and all we know it uh, from different kind of um, situations in the educational systems that the less selective uh, in the social sense, selective uh, systems, the more, uh, the better uh, outcomes they have. So, uh, that was not, the situation was difficult, uh, but has had this good uh, impact. One, in fact, not so good impact was about uh, 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 handicapped children and their families. Uh, but they are the usual victims in Portugal. Uh, in the, the last financial crisis, uh, we had a strong, neoliberal government associated to the Troika, to the, uh, and they simply and, uh, made all the teachers, most of the teachers of uh, handicapped children to the unemployment. So they were sent home. Uh, we had a neoconservative uh, minister which believed strongly in the idea of natural intelligence uh, one other uh, relevant discussion in Portugal is it, it, in this moment the migrants, the immigrants. Well, uh, we can't have them in this situation. We have, must have specific uh, programs towards specific uh, targets. Uh, in the first moment, how they can learn Portuguese as a second language. Uh, and how can, uh, can we promote uh, second language learning uh, among teachers? Uh, we have a specific program training the programs for teachers uh, in areas with high density of, uh, of immigrants. 
but now they have to put it uh, in a different way. Uh, so most of these, uh, there are other problems because most of these immigrants, well, we don't have the police chasing them on the streets. We never had, uh, it's mostly associated to labor uh, because these immigrants uh, are very much exploited by, uh, by their bosses. Uh, so, the authority for work and the, the borders patrol are always on these because of that situation. And we have an agreement with Spain to follow these uh, Thailand, Thailandese, these Thai workers and these Nepalese workers. But these children are invisible. And, and it's not easy in this moment. Well, in, this, in school, they are visible. They are there, they can speak. So schools have to promote a, a special uh, offer for these children. Uh, Portuguese classes uh, for children who can't speak a word in Portuguese and so on. But now they are, schools are closed. These children are uh, invisible. Uh, and teachers don't, and the social workers don't go anywhere trying to find them. So, because uh, most of them are afraid, teachers are old in Portugal in general. Uh, they are all over uh, 40 or 45. We have a very uh, aged uh, teacher class, uh, and social workers also don't go. So. These children disappeared from the educational system and we have to, in fact, to, to get them back to the educational system. So we have a lot of, we have some good policies, but some others were not so good as, as usual. But thank you.